It's time for another episode of Espresso Yourself with Chuck. And now, coming to the mic, your host, Mr. Chuck Knapp. Hi, and welcome to a special episode of Espresso Yourself with Chuck. We're going back into the vaults to an old Coffee with Chuck show. And uh, we're excited to show you this special video that was done several years ago. Welcome, Bev Mortimer. I know you're very unfamiliar to most of our guests listening in today. Now, obviously, I'm kidding. I, I thought it would be fun to visit with Bev because a lot of the team know you in your role as Senior Vice President of Programming or Program Development. I'm not sure which is the accurate title because I think we've changed it multiple times, but, um, but they probably don't know a lot about your career path and you've done a lot of interesting things in your life in addition to your career. So I thought it'd be fun just to kind of hear the Bev Mortimer, Mortimer story and then talk some specifics about career path, why you chose to go into public education, some of the highlights, some of the challenges, those, type, those types of things. So first of all, welcome officially. And uh, why don't we just have you tell us a little bit about growing up in small town Kansas, a little bit about your family history and how you got on a path to public education. Uh how many days do we have to do this program, Chuck? It's scheduled for an hour, but oh, we could okay. do, it could be a multi-part <laughs> series, somewhat like Last Dance, the documentary <laughs> on Michael Jordan and the yeah. Bulls. So, right. Yeah, I heard that's really popular right now. I actually, I've watched it too, but popular because people are stuck at home with nothing to do. So, you know, I ask that because I'm fairly um, experienced in life. And so there are a lot of chapters to that book. Um, but to talk a little bit, I grew up in Miltonville, Kansas, which uh, was a small community at the time, but we had Miltonville Wesleyan College. And so population was pretty good. Downtown was booming. And then the college eventually moved away to Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And so things dwindled after that. There is still a school, a high school in Miltonville, but they uh, are in the same district with Blasco. Heidi will know where that is. If Heidi's on here, she's in Beloit, uh, right next door to Glasgow. But population and enrollment has declined. I, I would have predicted by now the school's closed because my graduating class was 21. Um, I do, uh, they've combined with Glasgow to be Southern Cloud. And I think some of their graduating classes have two, three, four kids in it. So really small, which, um, I had a lot of opportunities growing up in a small town and probably I feel like a lot of freedoms um, to be turned loose a little bit because there wasn't a lot of trouble you could get into. And uh, more important than that, you couldn't get into trouble because everybody knew you. So if you did something or you were in a place you shouldn't be, they would tell your parents or they would tell your family and it would eventually get back around. So small town, um, which um, played into the path that I took. Uh, all of my school years, K through 12, were at Milton Bell. I feel like I got a good education at the time. Um, got involved in sports, uh, was really interested in 
junior high, we called it, but they didn't have girls sports in high school uh, because uh, I, I think we had track at the time. So I'm old enough to play into this in the 70s with Title IX and they added volleyball and basketball for girls when I started high school. And when I talked to some of the classes, I, I tell them uniforms back at the time were quite different. We wore the same uniform for volleyball, basketball, and track, but I think we had a purple top and a white top. Um, we were the Meltonville Pirates. So um, it, it, it was interesting to be in some of the first group. They didn't know how to referee girls basketball. I can tell you that right now. It turned into brawls out on the floor and I was kind of scrappy. So I just, you know, you played the game to the ability or to the level the officials, the referees would let you play. And I think they more were entertained by girls on the court scrapping than they were about calling the game. So there were some interesting games. But anyway, um, you know, growing up on a farm and it was a pig farm and we also had crops and things. Um, some, it, you know, it didn't isolate you being in a small community where you knew everybody uh, from being teased or made fun of because you were a farm kid or, you know, you're, you're from that pig farm kind of thing. And, um, uh, but I always used that, um, I guess, uh, to drive me further. And so when I get really frustrated, I would go run. I, we, we lived just on the edge of town, so I could go run. And all of that running <laughs> out of frustration kind of paid off. Um, but I will, my very first maybe experience with leadership and track and running was, um, and if I do this right, I've changed the picture. In about the fourth grade, I decided to be an entrepreneur. I was gonna have my own track meet and right behind me, I'll move my big head. That's, uh, that, those are the girls I got invited. So what I did was I made little paper tickets because we didn't have computers to print things and people could pay 25 cents and enter an event. And uh, my parents, of course, didn't know I was doing that, but I'd go to school and I'd sell tickets and invite people out to our house for this track meet. And uh, once they found out, I think they made me refund the money. I didn't get to keep the money, but uh, they made me go ahead and have the track meet. So these girls come out and then my mom went so far, you don't you can't relate, but we made, she, she made me make sure we had awards to give too. So they used to put strawberries in little plastic green crates. And so she cut those and I had to glue glitter onto them, like gold for first place and then silver, then, you know, bronze. And so I don't, you can't see them very well, but pinned on the shirts, you know, these are girls who had, who got first awards. So that was my first entrepreneur, um, experience and I guess leadership or organizing events and I was in the fourth grade and it got me in a little trouble at home but uh, I loved track and I was not the fastest in my class at that point um, so um, I you know that I, I don't I you know Chuck I could talk uh, lots of hours but I, and I don't if you want to stop me and ask me questions do um, I, I do want to ask one question go. can you point yourself out in this photo oh can anybody you? Tell what can you do you have a guess at which one is me? I well I was gonna say second from the right, but I don't know. See now I don't know if can I put right there. That's that's the one. Okay. See, I don't know if I'm mirrored, so I didn't know if I was okay. right or left. So if I was talking to the kids right now, students right now, the person who I would say is my bully through high school, she wanted to fight me every 
Wednesday at school. She wanted to meet after school and fight. Um, she's right there. <laughs> so um, it, she was kind of my tormentor, um, but she came to my track meet anyway. Um, but I do want to ask one other question. Okay. Did you only invite people you knew you could be in, in the track yeah. meet? Yeah, I said I wasn't the fastest. Um, I, no, um, funny thing though, one of the girls in that picture was really fast. And then we finally got to the point where girls could do sports. She didn't think that was the right thing. And, you know, her family didn't agree with doing sports. So she didn't do them. So the person who's probably way better than me didn't even go out for sports when we got to high school. So, uh, but <laughs> you fast forward all that. Uh, growing up at Miltonville, we did not have a track. And that's why I did a whole lot of road running. And I wanna uh, pull up one. So I would, I would go to summer track meets and I'd go to summer track camp at K-State just so I could run on a real track. And you, you have to remember this was, even though we didn't have any track, what we ran on at school was dirt. And the farmers would come in and blade it before the home track meet. And so that's, that's what I grew up training on. And so I would do this extra in the summer so I could run on re at real facilities um, and so one Sunday afternoon I went to uh, Junior Olympic pentathlon in Salina Kansas and I only went so I'd get a good workout and I could practice high jumping because they really had a high jump pit and uh, by the time the day was over I my parents said well we're busy we can't come watch it's summer it's harvest it's all those things and I said no that's fine because I'm not going to do very well overall anyway I just need to practice though I need to work out so I go to this track meet and I ended up winning and I didn't even look that there was more to it, um, you know, qualifying. And it turned out to be, a, it, it was AAU at the time, it was a region eight competition. And by winning that pentathlon, it qualified me for National Junior Olympics, which is sort of a stunned moment because I thought, what's that? Uh, I had done all five events, but not, not that well in a couple of them. So my parents, said, well, do you want to go? And I said, well, yeah. And they said, well, then get to work, you know, practice and get better in those events and go. So um, that's where I really got hooked into track. That was me back then. Um, so I go to Yakima, Washington to this track meet and there's a whole long story to it, but it was the very first time I ever met Jackie Joyner Kersey. She was competing in the age group under me. Well, I ended up winning my age division Jackie won her age division, and I had the national record for one year, and then she broke it the next year. So um, little do you know, you know, at the time when you meet people that uh, how, how it's going to turn out, what the rest of the story is going to be. So I, at this point, that's where I started to get a little bit of attention for track because it was also the first time in the Big 8, not the Big 12, the Big 8, that women... Uh, this event, this multi-event for women was added in the Big Eight. They always had the men's decathlon, but they didn't have the women's multi-event. So I started to get a little attention. The coach at KU was Terry Anderson, who was from Leonardville, Kansas, small town. So she knew that I was pretty raw, that I didn't have facilities, but I still, you know, this, this one moment to decide uh, to go to this track meet in Salina then leads me to where I'm going to go to college and leads me to scholarships. Uh, that was totally not planned, but it's one of the, that's why I tell kids and I tell my own kids, I, I tell Jag K, when doors open sometimes, you may not think you're ready to go through the door, 
but it may not open again. So it's important and it may scare you, but, but go through it, look through that door and sometimes jump through it and take advantage of it. Even though, you know how many times I fell flat on my face, um, hurtling a lot, but I did it anyway, even though it scared me to death. Uh, but um, yeah, I just, so the whole Jackie Joyner Kersey, I watch her go on and be an Olympic athlete, admire her a lot, read her book, um, a Kind of Grace, if you want to read a story about adversity and persistence. So I did go on to KU. Um, I have one picture. I'm not going to show it very long, though. Um, I don't know if you can see it very well. So people are, you know, in Miltonville, Kansas, pretty much are saying, you're out of your league. You can't go to KU. You're not good enough for that. And I don't know if it's being a middle child and having a little stubborn built in and some people who know me well probably figured out when you tell me I can't do something. Um, I think one of my best quotes I read someplace was, when people tell you you can't do something, go do it twice and take some pictures. And um, so I, I think that's what drove me a lot was people telling me you can't, you're not good enough. Um, and I, I wasn't certainly the best that went through KU. A lot of good people have come after me, but I was the first. So I guess I was the pioneer of the times which changed my majors a lot of times. You know, I don't want this all to be about athletics and sports, but it definitely um, helped me because the other thing I would tell kids today, it took me a long time to say this out loud. I maybe haven't ever said it out loud. I thought I was pretty good in science when I was in high school. You know, I won a biology contest, so I was kind of big headed about science. And uh, I go to college, my very first chemistry class was in a giant auditorium. I think there were 700 people in it, which were more people than in the town I grew up in. Nobody checked to see if you were there. And you have to remember, I grew up pretty monitored. Everybody knew where you were and they tattled on you if you were in the wrong place, I said. And uh, I, it was the first time I'd ever sort of been really free and nobody was checking to see if I was there. I could go if I wanted to, I was a big girl now. Well, that all leads up to, I didn't go to chemistry very often. Uh, I didn't go as much as I should. I'd go to the labs. And as a result, I did not pass my first college chemistry class. I don't think I said that out loud ever before, um, which then I felt like I embarrassed my family. I felt like, oh, well, all those people who said I wasn't good enough, they were right. The only thing that kept me at KU, because I thought I'm gonna have to go back to a different school, a community college, I'm gonna have to go home, because I can't handle, you know, this grown-up life. Uh, thought it over, coach talked to me, um, and then I decided, no, that's not how you do things. You, you committed to the track team, you have to finish it. So I stayed and I went back because of track, and I think uh, actually as things went better with track, um, I got really good grades after that, but it, it was the whole life lesson of learning that you really do have to go to class and just because you were good at it in high school and you didn't have to study doesn't mean that's how it's going to be later so it was a good life lesson but it was kind of tough life lesson uh change majors but then i went into education and that's where my education career started um, after that so i'll kind of take a pause see if you want to ask questions about any of this when you went into education was it because you wanted to coach or you said you were really good at science until you had that little stumble in chemistry. But what, what were you thinking at that point? The reason you wanted to go into education was? 
um, I, a little bit the, the sport, because I knew what athletics did for me and how it made me persevere and stick with something. It taught me the life lessons. Uh, athletic can, athletics can do that done the right way. I, can also, I have also seen them done the wrong way. Um, but uh, I, I did circle back around and I thought, no, science is not gonna beat me. So I retook things, I got better grades, I buckled down, did what I needed to, and so I was, um, I was an elementary education major, and so my very first teaching job, I had fourth and I had sixth grade to choose from, and I looked at them and I was still a little intimidated, so I said, I'll take fourth grade because I'm still taller than the kids, and that was the only reason I took fourth graders. And so a few years later, I thought, you know, I, that science was still kind of pulling at me. Uh, we had an increase in enrollment in, in the school district, Minneapolis, Delphus, where I was teaching. And they said, we've got we've to add more sections at the junior high level. Uh, and they said, who's interested? And I said, if you let me teach some science, I'll teach whatever else you want me to teach. So my first go round with junior high, I had to take an English class of 30, and I just remember boys because they were young boy, you know, junior high boys and at classroom management. I'm not sure they learned any English from me at that point uh, because my classroom management wasn't great. And I, I had to just like show no fear when you're working with them because they tried a lot of things. Uh, then I got comfortable with it though. And, and the science uh, went back to, and that's, that was, what I did the rest of my teaching, but I did coach some junior high sports and then I was a high school track coach. Um, so it, it took me, cause I saw the value in both, but they go together. Um, and I think the people who work the hardest at athletics can also work the hardest in the classroom because that's just built into them. Um, and what I wanted to say about, there's a lot of years of what, 15 years of teaching in the classroom and I, I loved science because it was real life. Um, it, it was easier for me to make connections or do projects or do real things with kids and get them excited and motivated. I just couldn't quite figure out, you know, I couldn't get excited about diagramming a sentence or pronouns and nouns. You know, I couldn't bring the same passion. So what I did was apply for a grant, and that's the picture in the background. I did a Krista McAuliffe fellowship and I I was given a year off to develop a river project and we didn't call it project-based learning back then. I don't know what we called it, but um, what I did, and you can see the girls in the background, they're water testing. I took the kids out to the river about once a month, uh, maybe more often, and they were divided into teams and that, that was a water quality team you can see right there. And they would have jobs and tasks to do in their little groups. And you can see they're wearing the vest. The vest are just like those athletic PE vests, but it helped me keep track of the teams out there. They have little headsets. Um, those guys are testing water. But one of the most fun things I did, because here's what people, they see me stiff and serious and professional, which is part of the life. I've tried to have an intervention though. So, you know, you guys cut me some slack. Uh, when you're a superintendent, you sort of have to have that poker face about a lot of things and can't show reaction and emotion. But I do like to have a good time and some people are figuring that out. And as a matter of fact, my favorite comic things are the far side. I just relate to a lot of them real easy. Uh, but one day, okay, so the kids are going, oh, wonderful, fun. one of them was an animal team. And, you know, they're 
thinking about what kind of animals they might find and they'd make plaster casts of the tracks and they'd identify them and all that business. Well, I knew it was getting a little monotonous. So I bought a rubber mold of a, that giant dog print and I went out to the river before I took the kids out and I put these tracks out there so we'd have a little excitement for the day. And so, oh, everybody converged because they're calling in on the radio. We found something, we found something. And oh, it's a big mountain lion, it's a cougar. And they're like, no, no, that's a dog track. It was the best thing I ever did. Um, and then I had to, of course, um, confess to what I had done. It wasn't a natural track. So uh, we did projects like that. One other I just wanna mention, and I think people still do it, and I think I have a picture, uh, through KU, we used to do Monarch Watch, which we tagged butterflies, and I didn't put any of those in here, I guess. Um, but the kids would catch butterflies, identify a male or female, put a little sticker on them, and then release them. And what they were doing is tracking the migration of the monarchs down to Mexico. And so one time out of I don't know how many thousand butterflies over the years we tagged, we got a certificate back that said one of our butterflies made it to Mexico. So um, that was that, you know, we used to do things like that when I was a teacher. So that's kind of the teaching side of things. At what point did you think you wanted to become an administrator? Okay. Well, so that's a good question. I needed to take classes to recertify and I decided, well, let me try a couple of these administrator classes. I don't really want to be an administrator because that's boring and that's dull. Well, I got into my class. I really liked the law class. And as I took classes, I'd look around the room and I'd think these people are going to be my boss someday. Um, you know what, I think I could do this too. So I finished that up um, and it, it's like when you're teaching and you think maybe you start to think, I could make a bigger difference if I was the principal or I would do things differently. And you know what, I can't complain unless I'm willing to step up and do that job. So that's kind of what happened. I, I, I just slowly worked in and started to look around and watch and think about it all. And um, I, my first, I did all my teaching in Minneapolis and Delphus, and then I, I, I thought it was probably best to be an administrator outside the district. Although I tried to get principal job in Minneapolis, and I did not get hired, and I thought it was the darkest day of my life. I didn't think the sun was going to come up tomorrow because the district I just worked in for 15 years didn't think I was good enough to be a principal. Fast forward, best thing that ever happened to me was to go on to Concordia and be middle school principal and I was a high school principal. And then uh, the last 13 years of that 33, I was superintendent. Um, but it just got to be where you started to look at that next level up and could I do that job? Could I make a difference? You know, if I made a difference in my classroom as a principal, I could do that at a different level. As a superintendent, I could do that at a different level. So it just kind of slowly evolved. I will tell you, I was not ready. I didn't feel ready to be a superintendent when I got hired, uh, but that's where I got the speech about the door is open. And that was from the superintendent before me in Concordia. Uh, he was getting ready to retire and he called me to his office, which made me a little nervous. And he said, here's the deal. I'm retiring at the end of this year. Are you interested in my job? And I said, well, I, I don't, I'm not quite ready yet. I haven't been a principal long enough. And he said, uh, that's where I, you know, the whole, the door may only be open one time. 
And so if you have any interest, you need to go now because if somebody else takes the job, they might take it for the next 15 years and then you'd never get a chance. Plus, I think you can do it. So he gave me a pep talk, I said yes, and there we are. Uh, I'm a superintendent all those years. So, um, was, go ahead. Finish your thought. If you oh, no, I was just uh, gonna go into just, uh, you know, one of the things, I, what I didn't like about the job was being so far removed from students. I love to travel with kids. I love to sit in rooms and I, I like to just listen. You can learn a lot from them by listening because sometimes they don't think you're listening. Uh, but during that time as a superintendent, I made a point to try to do some things to connect with kids. One of those things was honor flight. We did honor flights. I think I've talked about this before. Uh, six or seven years and that's one of the last groups we took but uh, over those years you know hundreds of we started World War II Korean got to Vietnam veterans we would take to Washington DC but the people in blue shirts except the older looking people uh, were guardians and we would choose high school kids to go along and specifically choose high school kids that may not otherwise have the opportunity to travel or had not traveled in their life so when I started out to do a project for kids, um, I had no idea the impact it was going to have on the veterans. Some of those veterans still write and call, uh, but e even they, the kids and the veterans are, are so thankful and grateful for the opportunity because, you know, they say, we never would have had the chance to do this if you wouldn't have given us the trip. So that's one thing uh, during my time in administration that I'm pretty uh, proud that we have done and I hated that I had to give it up. A second thing that we kind of, it was another one of those um, things you're a little afraid of and you're going to go, you're going to step out of line and see what happens. But when you step out of line for the right reasons, you know, I would encourage anybody to go for it. And that's a scary thing for me to tell you people. So don't do that. Don't, don't do what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, but we worked with our staff in Concordia, and this was the group. Um, a thing came out. Uh, it was a, an opportunity to apply for your school district to be designated in, in, as part of the Inno, Innovative Coalition. So they were the governor and House and, and Senate education chairs were going to make the selection. But you had to do a lot of work, groundwork in your own district first, and it, it was an opportunity if you were selected, your district could bypass some of the laws and regulations that you thought were impeding your ability to do better. So everybody was in agreement. The staff, the teachers association, community, we had everybody in agreement. Wow, this sounds great. Um, it's one of those moments you also hear me a lot say, be careful what you ask for, you might get it. We did it. Um, we went in, we had to present. I presented in the short minute. These were the people that went with me and in that photo, um, my dad is there who was a state representative. I, I figured out oh, all the stops for this. Um, he was a state representative, so I thought maybe his name would carry a little clout with it, but I used him as an example of parent support. Our city managers in that picture, our state senators in that picture, the high school principals in that picture, um, college president is in that picture. Our representative, uh, Susan Concannon, Senator Elaine Bowers, they're in the picture. And I had a couple students with me. And so I went down the line and said how this innovative project was gonna help each of these. And it was more of a community project. And I, I think I said this before, 
um, if you haven't read the book, David and Goliath, you need to. Uh, in my life, this has to be one of my David and Goliath moments. Of course, we're David. Uh, because we went into it, Dr. Randy Watson, who's now our commissioner, was superintendent at McPherson. And we knew he was going to get picked first because it was kind of his idea. He had worked with legislators on this. And, but the number two spot was up for grabs. We were up against uh, Kansas City, Kansas School District. And I was always intimidated by larger districts like that because they have lots of people who do a lot of things uh, to support uh, the superintendent or levels of administration like PR people and data people and all of that. Well, when you're in a small district, that's you. So I knew I was up against a lot of uh, competition and there were a few other districts, but I just, everybody thought KCK because of the number of students, they would be picked number two. Well, that was my, my David moment when I did my presentation. I, I felt in the moment too, and we got picked number two. So, um, and where I said, be careful what you ask for, everybody thought they wanted it until we started getting criticized for that. You know, it was, why didn't you just work through the state uh, board of education? Why did you have to go to the legislature? Teachers unions blamed us and, and criticized and said, well, what are you gonna do now? Just start hiring high school dropouts to be teachers. They don't have to be licensed. And uh, as a matter of fact, I, I did say back to them, I don't know what your issue is with dropouts because one of my high school science teachers was a dropout and then he went to the military and then he took a different path and did go back to school to be a teacher. So yeah, sometimes dropouts have the best path and if they're the best person for the job, we'll do it. Our intent was to hire some local professionals to fill jobs. Plus the other, the number one reason I did it, I had a kindergarten teacher been teaching for a lot of years. She was also certified uh, special education. We wanted her and she wanted to open our at-risk preschool. And the state of Kansas said she is not highly qualified to teach preschool, even though she was kindergarten. But her certificate said K through nine, not pre-K. And they actually told us, oh, she was national board certified too, if any of you know what that means, an extra le level of acknowledgement of expertise. They said, well, in order for her to be highly qualified to teach at-risk kids, even though she's been teaching kindergarten for 20 years to move to preschoolers, she will need to take another year of classes and need to do student teaching again. And we said, that's nuts, that's ridiculous. So when I explained to them that's what we were doing, State Department of Ed said, why didn't you bring that to us? And I said, I have tried for two years to bring that to you and I've gotten nowhere. So they changed it right after that. Now you can be a kindergarten teacher and you're considered highly qualified. So that's, that's the Concordia uh, rule or regulation that was changed. But anyway, those are a couple things from administrative time that were um, a big deal. Uh, one of my, I guess, partners in crime, the college president, she was at Cloud at the time. Uh, we worked well together and I think that's what I wanna say. Sometimes as a superintendent, it's hard to work with your team. They see you as a supervisor. Uh, but we had good collaboration in Concordia and always thought had we worked together longer, we were going to make a lot of big changes for the community um, in Concordia, not just our single entity working by itself. But it was back in the time budgets were frozen, there were cuts, and so we had to work smarter. We had to try to be more efficient, take advantage of resources. Not everybody working in their own little silo doing their own little thing, but if we could come up with some 
big collaborative projects, we, we could meet the needs of our people in the community and, and school district, so. Throughout your career in both the classroom and as an administrator, and you mentioned some of the challenges uh, and some of the rewarding experiences, but is there one story or one moment that you could share that kind of crystallizes the entire experience or the reason um, you, you went into education? Like that, that one moment, whether it was with a student or, or just as, as a part of public education that you could share with someone to say, this is why I did it. And this is what made it all worthwhile. And, and it, it may be difficult to isolate just one, but if you could share, you know, one of several that maybe you have. Um, I, I don't know if I can isolate one single moment. Um, you know, I, I look back through things and as you work with the thousands of kids that you do, and specialists who are listening, sometimes you don't get immediate feedback or you don't, nobody tells you you make a difference or you know that one time you did this. And so it's kind of a delayed um, thing that you get back. But when you're working with kids and you, you can tell, you, and, and you build those relationships with kids um, and when you start to see their excitement and when they start just through conversation and get to know the kids and the questions that they ask you, you know you're making a difference. You're helping them find what it is they wanna do. And so when I say delayed gratification, I've had kids come back that I coached or that uh, I taught and I would swear they weren't paying attention in my class um, that said, you know, when you went to Mexico that year, because uh, I noticed one went to Mexico and I said, wow, that's really great. You're working there. And he said, yeah, remember when you went? Well, I thought, and I remember you telling us that anybody could do it. And um, so I did it because you did it. You showed us how. And so I think through the years, um, I always try to think about that too, where people maybe thought, wow, she's doing a lot of things for herself. I was doing things to show kids you could. And I think it started in my teaching days where, you know, we live in Delphus, Kansas. Um, there's no school in Delphus anymore. And it's a small little tiny town with not much left in it. But it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter how your story starts. At some point, you can take it over and write it. You get to finish it. Nobody finishes your story for you. You do. And sure, there are things that happen like COVID-19 that change uh, your path. But um, I, you know, the first time I applied for a couple things, like the, um, I got to go to Japan for three weeks and, you know, people, again, that whole, are you nuts? What are you doing? I, I did it because I wanted to show kids in Delphus, Kansas, you can do that. You can live in Delphus, but there's a whole world out there for you to find. So I was always inspired when kids got excited. And I, I, I don't know, that, that just drove me over time. And then I must have this crazy little internal thing that just keeps me moving forward. Um, I, you know, I, I, do, I can't really isolate one minute. It's just, or one moment. Um, it's just knowing that kids come to school every day. They depend on you. They can see through you. If you're trying to fake it and you don't like what you're doing or you don't like your subject area, they know it. And if you don't really care, they know it. 
so to be able to build relationships and I guess the reward is sometimes 10, 20 years later when kids come back and say, you know, when you did this, and there, there's a few things they tell me, I, it's like, I don't even remember doing that or saying that. And they, they come back. So they're watching and they're listening all the time to what you do. And so I can't think of a better way, um, you know, to live by having some influence, having some impact on the generations that come after you. Um, so, or to help them find their way. And I've heard it from you guys a million times, and that's probably why I'm here with Jag K today, is all of you tell kids that you believe in them. And they say, my specialists believe in me more than I believed in me. And I think that was, that was kind of my mindset going through, is if, if somebody just opens doors for these kids, can you imagine what they'll do? because they don't believe it or their families don't believe it. So I think that was kind of always there for me. So that's the one thing is, gosh, run in and kick open some doors so kids see that they have choices and they have opportunities out there for them. And you mentioned Jack Hay. Why did you decide to do this? Because you'd had a successful career in public education, uh, retirement, you could have you know, just traveled to Disney World and, <laughs> you know, hung out in Delphus or, or done whatever. Uh, but then you had what hopefully you saw as an opportunity <laughs> to, um, to work with this organization, an organization you were familiar with because you brought it to Concordia, obviously a superintendent. So why JAG K? Can you tell us not only why, but maybe even explain some of the responsibilities you have as senior vice president of programming because we may not, well, I do, I think, but not everyone may understand just what you do in a, in a typical day. Not that there is a typical day, but, but some of the things you do as a senior vice president also. Okay. Well, um, yep, I could have, I guess, ridden off into the sunset when I left Concordia because I technically did retire. Um, but behind me, and I, I have a lot of pictures where I like to just blend in the picture. Um, but that's why I'm doing this. When, when I left education and left being a superintendent, um, I knew I wasn't gonna go to my rocking chair on the front porch just yet. Um, there were things I still wanted to do. I originally went into education because I wanted to teach and I wanted to be around kids. And so I knew I wanted to take you know, a different direction. I don't wanna say a step down or a step back, because getting back closer to the kids is not a step back. But that was why I went into it in the first place. I didn't go in to be an administrator. I didn't go in to take nasty phone calls and deal with chicken stories. That's a whole nother episode. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, we, we got targeted by a, an activist group with chickens. And I got thousands and thousands of hate mail letters about chicken, about a chicken called Chicklet, who had more friends on Facebook than I did. But anyway, that's not, that's not why I went into education. And so I, you know, we started it, like Chuck said, at Concordia. And um, I saw the benefits. I saw how it could be done. I saw what a difference it was making and could make and the potential of it. And so I knew I wanted to, when I left Concordia, get back closer to kids. So Jag K, uh, let me do that. I've, I think I've had a different job title every year and my duties have changed about every year. And some of that comes with growth and uh, 
change in the organization. July 1, we're going to make another shift and another change. I think my title stays the same, which titles, you know, I wouldn't do my job any different if I had a different title. Um, so I, I'll, it, it, but I do feel a little bit administrative again. Um, Connor's going to take over programs and regional managers. Um, and I, so I'm, I feel like I'm getting another step away from the kids. So I hope that um, I could be entertaining enough that maybe you'll have invite me out to talk to your kids once in a while. And I'll always be at the events, but I'm going to be in the suit. and I'm going to be all stiff unless, of course, I wear a costume, which sometimes I do that. Uh, one of the best costumes I ever wore, I was a high school principal and it was spirit week and it was camo day. So I put on one of those suits with the leaves all over them and you couldn't tell who I was. See, the sense of humor rises up once in a while. I did that and um, walked through the freshman hallway before school started. The kids are going, who's that? Who's that? And one young man sitting in the hall said, who's that? Who are you? And I kept walking. And he said, I said, and he used a few curse words. I turned and looked at him. I lifted the mask. He said, I'll be in for detention after school. So um, uh, anyway, um, I, you know, I, I think I can, I'm, I'm old. Um, I got lots of stories. I can tell you lots of things, but um, I want to get to know your kids. I am here to make a difference with the kids but working with all of the state directors, the managers, uh, working in, with Chuck, um, with all of you as specialists, my job, you know, you're like my arms out there with the reach to the kids and the mission that we're on. How can you not be excited about what it is we do and the potential? Do we win? Do we have successes with every single one of our students? Nope, but keep the bar high uh, because you know, the, the saying is, if you don't have expectations, then no, we're not going to make it anywhere. So keep those expectations high. Um, specialists, keep investing in your kids, because I think that's how I've looked at all my jobs. I could never be one of those persons who did an interim job or just went here for a year and here for a year and here for a year. Um, I, I'm all about investing. And the one downside, to all, there's lots of rewards. Uh, but the downside is then when you leave or when it doesn't go well, you're so invested, there's, there's some hurt that goes with it, but I don't know how to do a job any other way, I guess. Uh, I, my duties now, uh, we're getting ready to change. So, but I'm gonna well, work I with five state directors. Um, I can't wait, we've got some ideas. We need a war room, we need to get back together uh, for programming, for transitions, for um, employer engagement, um, training data. I think I got all five of them because we're gonna be in a flurry of charts and post-it notes about how we can collaborate together to support you guys and to continue to move this um, organization that we all love forward. Yes, and I think Bev's job has always been program development and we still have a lot of things not only developing maybe some new programming with transition services and and working with system involved youth but maybe tweaking some of the things we currently do uh, modifying 
modifying those. We're still looking at how do we serve rural communities better, small rural communities. So there's a lot of stuff on the plate. Uh, and I don't think that will necessarily keep you from students because we'll probably need to talk to students to find out how to better serve them. So I think you'll still always have that opportunity, if you will. And I see Christy Prey has offered to let you wear your camouflage uh, costume to her program. So you can okay. even break that back out. All so, right. well, um, uh, well, I was just going to say, I, I don't see any questions on the chat, but I believe you can unmute yourself if anyone has a question of Bev, either about anything she's shared with us today or you know, maybe something else that's on your mind. Okay, well, people are thinking real quick, just two real quick things in the last few years. I think the other thing that keeps driving me is, could be age, is that just a number out there? Um, but I want kids, I want my own kids, I want uh, my grandkids to um, know that uh, about adventure. Don't, don't you know, never turn down an opportunity, always look for opportunities for adventure. Um, two big ones. Last summer, I got to go for a week with the military, uh, a different branch each day. That was our Army day. I was on the Coast Guard team, uh, but one of the best things ever in my life. I maybe wish I would have done it 20 years ago, so I was in better shape to do some of the physical things. Um, second thing, I mentioned earlier Jackie Joyner, Kersey, and being at a track meet with her when I was 17. A couple years ago, when I was working for JAG K, she was at K State. I'm going to speak, and I there's long. That's another episode. Long story about my mission. One of my bucket list things was to meet her in person and give her the pictures from when we were. I was 17. She was 15 or 16 when we were together at that track meet because I have the pictures. And so I got to go. Um, she was at K State, and so finally. Um, th this is the persistent and always, you know, keep that list of your goals and things you want to do where you think it's impossible. There she is, Kansas State University. I had to buy a ticket for dinner. I went up to her. I talked to her about these pictures that I'd sent her a long time ago. And she just reached out and gave me the biggest hug like we're long lost friends. So um, item complete. And so I have to keep putting things on the list. But never underestimate yourself never underestimate the kids. That's the amazing thing. These kids can do so much more sometimes than we allow them to do. But with that, are there some questions? You can unmute. I'm open to anything. You're the first people to know I flunked my first chemistry class. I didn't tell my own kids that yet. Any questions? I was just thinking, Bev, would you be willing to talk at our INIs? That speech right there would be very inspiring. Um, sure. What, which speech? <laughs> which one do you want to hear? <laughs> just that one you just did about the keep dreaming, just going for yeah. it. Okay. So I, I've taken three international trips. I paid for none of them. Uh, Japan for three weeks, the Fulbright paid for that. I got to go to China because of superintendents. And then because I was a science teacher, somebody called me about two weeks before and said, I need you to go be the keynote speaker to teachers in China. Because uh, you have a passport and I knew you were a science teacher. Could you do that? Oh, you need to write lesson plans and submit them. So there were some of the kids in China 
um, where you don't say no, you say yes. And now what do I need to do to get myself prepared for that opportunity? So, yep, I, I will never turn down. You, you will, and I'm, I've got lots of experiences and I can talk from or a theme that you might want um, here. Because the military thing, I'm blocking myself, but that week, that guy is Mark Cameron. He writes the um, some of the Jack Ryan, um, Tom Clancy books. He writes them. Um, I'm on the same trip with him. And so you get a little intimidated by the people that you run into and you cross paths. You never know. Did I expect to do that? Nope. Um, but there he is. And then I just, sorry, I got to show you this one. Uh, there, there were people younger and there were people my age on the military thing. The day, what, on Navy Day, we trained, did a little training with the SEALs. And um, because of my age and be able to have a poker face and stay calm, um, I did not jump out of the water like a lot of people did because they panicked. We did the whole um, lay in the water and let the water rush over you thing. So, yeah, that was the only picture of me I actually would let them publish anywhere. Um, even though it's not, not great, there's evidence that I was with the seals. It's not really, but I was with the seals in the ocean. So, um, but uh, sure, yes, long, long answer there, Christy, there. I'll just put my own family up now so I quit telling you work stories and life stories. But I get excited when, you know, I talk um, because there's a lot out there to be excited about. Not every day is great. I get depressed, I get down sometimes, but um, when I get around people, when I get around kids, and sometimes I have to be pushed through that door, um, I can get pretty excited about what we do, and I just see the potential in other people, and I want them to go for it. Carlos, I think, has a question. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Bev. Um, hey. My question is, uh, you're a pretty driven person, and sometimes I feel like I'm a pretty driven person, too. And sometimes it's kind of hard to find um, commonality with other people that are just as driven. Um, do you look for a mentor? Do you have a mentor or someone who helps you like with that? Like, um, do you ever feel like I'm pushing too hard or, or something like that where you can ask somebody to, you know, advice? Do you have a mentor or anything like that? that I, that's the biggest thing. I, I've been told that so many times. If there's some goals that you want to attain or some things you want to do, Having a mentor, having somebody that you can ask questions to is very, very important. I just wondered, did you have one or do you? Um, interesting story there. With what I do right now, I probably go to Chuck a lot more. And um, so sometimes he hears me be frustrated and he's always calming and he can redirect back to the big picture instead of sometimes I get hung up on some small details. So right now it's Chuck. And, um, you know, it, it's situational. And I would say growing up, because I didn't feel like I had many friends or many supporters. Now, my parents didn't tell me I couldn't do things, but they didn't tell me I could. So um, they, they were more supportive than not, I should say that part. Um, but I, I started to kind of isolate and protect myself, which is part of why people think I'm pretty thick-skinned right now or shelter's not the word. I, I kind of learned um, from some experiences that I just, had, and, and growing up during Title IX, when people said, oh my gosh, girls can't do that, um, I, I sort of went internal and 
started to say, yes, I can, yes, I can, um, and block out what other people said. So I think early on, uh, I had some coaches that were really good. I had some coaches that were not, that, that did more damage to my, you know, future. Um, and I'm trying to, it was situational. So there, there were co a coach in high school. There was um, a coach in college, my, my track coach. I wouldn't have stayed at KU had it not been for my track coaches. So it, it depends on the timing in my life. You know, when I was, when I was a teacher, I had colleagues or I had a, a, a principal I could go to and really talk honestly with. So it, it changes based on the position that I'm in. Um, and so the picture on here is another one of those Title IX moments. Blue car's my brother, pink car's me. So very first year, Solana, Kansas, Soapbox Derby. And Carlos, I did that because you were going to do something with Soapbox Derbies. Um, first girl to sign up. So I made the Salina Journal. And um, that, my brother was older. He had already done Soapbox Derby a year or two. So I was the new one coming in. I was his younger sister. I don't mind, have to let girls in. And so it didn't help matters that I got my picture in the Salina Journal for signing up to be the first girl. So we go to Soapbox Derby. They put you on a ramp down um, the runway. What was that Salina? I can't remember exactly which runway. Uh, one year, Anyway, so put you on a ramp. They drop the thing, and then your cars roll down the hill. The first time down the hill, and we were one of us was going to be eliminated, and one was going to get a third-place trophy. Mm, you know what happens here. Um, little sister, first time down the hill, it was a photo finish. They have the Polaroid picture that shows us exactly, but my brother says he actually won that one. They called it a photo finish. So they put us up, the, take us up the hill again, put us on the ramp, go down, and that's the end result. He knew he was getting beat. And if you look right, I don't know if I can get, you can, I'm, I'm white, what my shirt is blending in right down there under his car, he's putting his brake on because he already knows I beat him. So I got the trophy, I got the $25 Montgomery Ward gift certificate, and then I got sent to my aunt's for two weeks. So my brother could mentally deal with the fact that his little sister um, brought home a trophy and he brought home nothing. So there, there's one of my stories for you, Carlos. That one's for you. Emily has a question or two. Okay. Hi, Bev. Um, so my question, I have two questions. Okay. So as a, a previous superintendent teacher, what government policies did you find helpful at the time? And my second question is, what policies would you like to have uh, um, policymakers implement that can be helpful for the school faculty and school? Oh, policies that were helpful. I'm sure an old superintendent should say, oh, they all were. Um, our policy handbook in any school district um, is like this thick with policies and every year you have to update, you have to update. And, and I understand the reason for that, um, but I also think there are too many policies. Um, you know, they talk about local control and, but they don't really let you have a lot of local control on some things. And I think as I finished education, uh, the thing I was most frustrated with was the standardization of everything and 
that everything had, and in teach, I saw a shift. Teachers were teaching because they loved it and they loved interacting with kids. They loved their subject areas. They had passion. But then all those standards and, and all the testing came down and people started teaching towards the test. Well, we have to get the test scores. And I, that's what I didn't like about education. Um, so I, I can't really tell you which policies um, that I did or didn't like or what we should have. I will say, because it'd be a really long answer too. Um, I will say Dr. Watson either retweeted or had a tweet this last week that I thought hit the, the nail on the head. And it was, because what I've seen now around schools is they're starting to talk about their summer athletic camps. I, and you know now from my background, I am more supportive of athletics than anybody or as much as anybody else. But I see districts hurrying and pressuring to get in and get those summer conditioning. And I understand why, I understand why. But his tweet was something about before you start all your athletic camps, make sure you found the kids who disconnected with you in this time of, of COVID-19. So when school is shut down, and you all know that too, you've had a difficult time finding all your kids. And I so appreciate you people who are diligent. The stories I've heard about you out there tromping to get them out the fishing pond all those other things um, and I so appreciate that and I, I think schools have gone it, I, I would remove some policy I, I wouldn't add policy I would remove it and get back to the times or in all honesty get everybody to do what we do you care about the kids first and you give the kids what they need and it's real life lessons and you figure out how to tie real life to the competencies that we're doing so I, that's not a very good question about policy, um, but I will tell you a story. It's a good thing we had a policy once. We had a, a young lady with leukemia at the high school. We, we wrote a 504 plan for her to say nothing should be counted against her absences because she had to go to chemotherapy. She's a senior and this particular government teacher would let seniors out early and something else maybe um, if they had an A, and they didn't miss a certain number of days, he was not going to allow her the reward because she missed too many days according to his little classroom policy. So I am so thankful we had the 504 plan because I walked down and I said, no, sir, um, you will, she does get the reward. Do you think she wanted to miss your class while she was gone to chemotherapy? You know, anyway, we worked it out. So policies are there when, you know, when, when they're there, to make sure everybody gets an opportunity and gets a chance, you know, those are the best policies to have. So I think we're a little bit over overdoing policy. I just want to get back to where we care about the kids, we give them what they need, um, and we can do better that way. We could just trust that everybody did that and came in with that mindset because you know some of you even know that maybe a school has pressured you to take on an extracurricular activity to go with your JAG-K job. Um, and some of you do it because you want to, that's great. But we also have run into some situations where school districts have tried to hire a coach and then tell us that's who, who's gonna be JAG-K. No, 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 we're, we're gonna find the right people for JAG-K and if they can do some of your other jobs and they want to, that's, that's great, so. Well, Beth, thanks. We have uh, about 30 seconds left in our hour. I think everyone, if they didn't know it before, should certainly, understand now why we are blessed to have you in our organization. You bring a wealth of experience 
and even more passion to the organization. So thanks for what you do. Thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Chuck. Have a great weekend and we will talk to you next week. See ya. Thanks. It was fun. Videos with our JAG-K program. Thank you.